Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, this is Chris, the public safety guru, with another exciting study guide preparation podcast. This study guide is for block exam four, which encompasses medical and medical emergencies. Regardless if you're in my program or not, this podcast should help you on any medical block exams that you have in your program, as well as preparation for the National Registry. Okay, so you know the drill, pencil and paper and thinking caps, and let's get right to it. So our first category is examination slash assessment. So when we are looking at someone's respiratory status, assessing it, we are looking for very specific things. So what is it that we are looking for as an EMT? When we are assessing the respiratory status of our patients, we wanna know how fast they're breathing, are they breathing normal, and do they have adequate tidal volume? So we're looking for that 12 to 20 on adults. Then we're looking for their chest rise and fall. Are they having adequate volume? And are they using any type of accessory muscle use? So this is how we are determining someone's respiratory status. We'll then eventually get lung sounds or listen to lung sounds to ensure that we do not have wet lungs or anything else going on in the lungs. Now I'm gonna harp on COPD. You had your lecture on COPD and what COPD was. Remember, COPD is a compromised respiratory system, usually caused by people who are long-term smokers, but it is a disease process. These are our asthmatics and emphysemics. So patients who are long-term smokers normally have COPD. When treating the COPD patient who is in distress, we transport them in semi-fowlers. We also give them high-flow oxygen via a non-rebreather mask. COPD patients, because of their compromised lungs, are at risk for a spontaneous pneumothorax. This is because of their lung lining is very weak. I told a story in my class about my mom. My mom smoked a pack of cigarettes uh, probably a day, but I know she smoked for 15 to 20 years. Now she is COPD or has been diagnosed with COPD. She has a constant cough. And that cough, I know one day she has the possibility of being able to give herself a spontaneous pneumothorax. That is my fear with my mother. So don't remember, so please remember that, that people who have COPD are at risk for a spontaneous pneumothorax. When assessing patients, listen to what they are saying and take account their age. Most young people do not have medical problems. If you have a teenager who's complaining of not feeling well and possibly hungry, you should be thinking diabetics. The reason, because of, the reason behind this is that most teenagers can compensate. You can compensate. It's like one more in class and lunchtime is approaching. You're getting hungry, but you're, not, you are, you're still feeling okay. You can function. If I told you to go outside and run, for the most part, most of you would be able to run. This person here is not feeling well. They're starting to get that general malaise, that general weakness. We want to think possibility of undiagnosed diabetes. So I want you to think about that. When a patient presents with shortness of breath and has a history of a recent surgery or long bone fracture, what are you thinking? What is the cause to their shortness of breath? You better be thinking PE. So you as a student need to remember all the risk factors associated with pulmonary embolus. That is the long bone fracture, recent surgeries, especially the abdomen, people who have arrhythmias. You need to go back into the lectures and start looking for all of those risk factors associated with PE because we're going to ask you, what are the risk factors of a pulmonary embolus? Okay, so let's talk seizure. You should know the different stages of a seizure. Pre-ectal, the tonic-clonic, and post-ectal. Remember, post-ectal is that phase that someone has come out of their seizure, but they're still not ANO3. They're breathing fine, but we also remember that entire time that someone is seizing, they are not breathing, okay? That means their brain is hypoxic. This is why one of the first things we wanna do while we are assessing our patient is get them some oxygen, give them some oxygen. They need it, their brain and body is hypoxic, okay? So wrap your head around that, and let's, get some, let's give them some oxygen, not just on the test, but out in the field when you're out there on your own. Now this is in my notes, so it must mean something. If you have a patient having an allergic reaction and is alert, you still need to conduct a primary and secondary survey. That should be, duh. 
Okay, um, you, we should always conduct a primary and secondary survey, no matter what is wrong with our patient. But obviously here, there was some indication that my students were not understanding that when someone's having an allergic reaction and is alert. So remember that allergic reaction, when someone's alert, still conduct a primary and secondary. You need to know the key elements of the Cincinnati stroke test. Remember that stroke test, the one that's used throughout the United States, except here in Los Angeles County. Okay, so go back to your lecture and memorize three by five card, the Cincinnati stroke test. You also need to know the word associated when someone cannot speak or understand speech. That is aphasia, okay? Aphasia, you will have aphasic patients. Sometimes after a stroke, they cannot speak or understand speech. You need to know that. All right, we're gonna be heading to our next category, signs and symptoms. Coffee ground emesis and black tarry stools are an indicator of what? You need to know this. So go back to your lecture and look for that. Coughing, sneezing, itching, burning skin, swelling of face and tongue are signs and symptoms of an allergic reaction. You can have all these or just one. The difference between an allergic reaction and anaphylactic shock is indicated by respiratory distress. Let me repeat that part again. The difference between an allergic reaction and anaphylactic shock is indicated by respiratory distress. So how do we look at this? Well, if I get stung by a bee, I could have a simple topical reaction at the, at the stinger site. In other words, I just have some redness and swelling. That is an allergic reaction. The difference is now I develop respiratory distress, shortness of breath, wheezing, whatever you want to say, I start developing some type of difficulty breathing, even mild. Now I have switched over from an allergic reaction to anaphylactic shock. Remember that. Noisy respirations are obstructed respirations, ladies and gentlemen. Noisy respirations are obstructive respirations. We can fix that. They require immediate, immediate attention. So if there's no trauma, head tilt, chin lift. If there's trauma, trauma, jaw thrust. Get it? All right. If you have a patient who's having a heat emergency and they present with dry, hot skin, they are in heat stroke, not exhaustion. Remember in my lecture, I talked about it. Normally, this is how it looks. I'm, I'm going to go for a run, okay? I, it's, it's 105 degrees outside, but I'm an extreme trainer, blah, 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 right? <clears throat> okay, so I'm running, and all of a sudden, my legs start to cramp up. That's your body telling you, hey, you need to stop. We're done. We're tired. Let's go inside, and let's have a cold drink, right? But, hey, we're extreme trainers. We're going to keep going. And we do. Now we go into heat exhaustion. Our body's now telling us, hey, man, I'm having some trouble, difficult. I'm having some difficulty here cooling down. I'm not liking you all that much. So we stomach starts getting nausea and vomiting, a little height, a little uh, lightheaded, general malaise. And then our body just says, you know what? You don't deserve to live anymore. You're a moron. I'm going to shut off your cooling abilities and we are going to die. Obviously, you should not be reproducing. Uh, probably not totally like that, but something very close. So your body shuts down its cooling and the person becomes hot and dry. This is a extreme medical emergency, ladies and gentlemen. This is the person that if you had a water hose, you would be soaking them down before the paramedics got there. This is a person that you put ice packs in their groin, underneath their arms, on top of their head because their brain is boiling inside of its skull cap. Okay, This is a medical emergency. The way we're able to tell the difference between exhaustion and stroke is that hot, dry skin. All right, enough with that. Diving emergencies where the patient is complaining of chest pain made worse by inhalation, think air embolus. Diving emergencies where the patient is complaining of chest pain made worse by inhalation, think air embolus. All right, we're now going to move to our next category, physiology. TIAs, transient ischemic attacks, should be considered mini strokes and as such require, quote unquote, require, oh wait one more time, require medical attention. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen, in, we, though we teach you about TIAs and strokes, in the field, we do not know the difference. So that is why anybody who presents with stroke-like symptoms requires medical attention. Now, later, we're going to learn if they had a TIA or not, but who really cares, all right? 
So we just don't want you to be monkeys trained to do X, Y, and Z. No, we want you to be thinkers. I want you to be thinkers, okay? We have enough people who are just robotic with this job. I need thinkers out there. I want good EMTs to be great EMTs, and I want great EMTs to be great paramedics. So with that, TIAs require medical attention. People die from insect bites because they are allergic to them. Now, that's just that's that simple. Not everyone's going to die from a black widow. But if someone does die from a black widow, it was because they were mm, uh, allergic. So I think we can go on from there. Cold weather can affect a patient's mental status, heart rate, and cap refill. So remember that. The cold can affect cap refill. So cold weather, once again, can affect a person's mental status, heart rate, and capillary refill. Remember the person's freezing. They're slowing down, okay? So let's think about that. They're in the cold and they're slowing down. So if you see some test questions, think about slowing down. If you're a student in my class, you know I pretty much make an ass of myself through my lectures, but it's my way of trying to get you to remember the content. I mentioned this before. What are risk factors in developing a PE, pulmonary embolus? All right, now... You need to wrap your head around this three by five card. Bloop, 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 bloop. Okay, what are the three things that make up status epilepticus? Because we're going to ask you a test question. A test question is what is not status, and you're going to have to figure out which one of the four answers is not what makes someone in status epilepticus. So remember, status is three or more seizures in one hour, where the page, or three. I'm sorry, three or more seizures in one hour. That's the first one. Number two having a seizure lasting more than 10 minutes, or having multiple seizures where the patient does not regain any consciousness between the seizures. Boom. Those are the three. Anything else is not status. Seizures are caused by chaotic electrical discharge in the brain. Seizures are caused by chaotic electrical discharge in the brain. Should we focus on the word chaotic? Cool. The most common cause of brain attacks are occlusions and clots. The most common cause of brain attacks are occlusions and clots. Remember, I hate the word brain attack, okay? CVA, stroke, let's call it what it is. Brain attack, I'm not a fan of, but whatever. So brain attacks are caused by occlusions and clots. Now, I want you to think about your congestive heart failure patient, CHF. What is causing the problem? What are the lungs doing? Or we should say, what is happening to the lungs? So remember, what causes CHF? What kind of heart failure? Is it left heart failure or is it right heart failure? It's left. Okay, so left heart failure. The blood leaving the lungs has nowhere to go, so it backs up into the lungs. So now what is happening to the lungs? Blood is filling up in the alveoli. Oh, blood's filling up in the alveoli. Oh, which is causing our gurgling respirations. All right. Wrap your head around that. And how do we transport this patient? Upright, legs down. Upright, legs down. Remember I told you their feet are with your feet. Okay? High fowlers. Legs are upright. Or the patient is upright, legs down. Next category, pharmacology. Amphetamines are CNS stimulants. Okay? Amphetamines are CNS stimulants. Antihypertension medications do not change the mental status of our patients. Okay? Think about me. I, if I had high blood pressure and I was on hypertensive medications, I would still be able to lecture you because I am having no change in my mental status. My change in my mental status comes from other things. Ah, just kidding. That was a little inside joke for my students. Okay? So they have no effect on the consciousness level of your patient. CNS stimulants slow everything down. Think about what alcohol does to someone. Alcohol is a CNS depressant. So CNS depressants slow everything down. CNS stimulants speed up everything, causing things like chest pain, tachycardia, and hypertension. So think about the meth user who takes meth. You may have a meth user who's complaining of chest pain, most likely caused by tachycardia, and the fact that their blood pressure is skyrocketing. What does epinephrine do to the bronchioles? Dilate or constrict? 
So you're gonna need to look that one up. I'm not gonna give that to you. Some of you just need to do a little bit of research. What does epi do to bronchioles? It dilates. All right, so opiate overdoses. When someone has overdosed on an opiate, I want you to think hypoxia. Remember, the opiate has attached itself to the breathing receptor sites of the brain. This is why we use Narcan, okay? We need to push that opiate out of the respiratory receptor sites of the brain. So anytime you have an opiate, think hypoxia. All right, next category, treatment. Remember, shallow respirations equal BVM slash positive pressure ventilation, okay? You guys should actually see me taping this. I'm pretty animated. I'm like doing the Keanu Reeves things where I'm moving my arms and I'm like making faces like someone can see me. It's kind of funny. Anyways, all right. Remember, shallow, respir- shallow respirations always require manual ve- ventilations with either positive pressure such as BVM. Additionally, anyone breathing below 12 a minute requires manual ventilations. Remember, if we have someone who's breathing less than 12, ladies and gentlemen, we need them to be at 12, okay? That's important. So you're going to breathe for them. Post-seizure patients require oxygen as the brain is hypoxic. Provide O2, protect the airway by placing the patient in a left lateral position and transport. So what do we do with a semi-conscious or unconscious patient that starts vomiting? Well, we always want to protect their airway. So think about the, you're going to see this test question. You're going to have a patient who is unconscious and I believe you're breathing for them and all of a sudden they start vomiting. What are you going to do for them? Well, remember, we always have to protect the airway. Go right back to your primary assessment of protecting the airway, and you should be able to answer that question. Think about that. How am I going to protect this patient's airway? Do I put them in a left lateral position, let the uh, suction out the airway? What is it I do? So you need to think about that. You need to know the Los Angeles County, LA County treatment for snake bite. All right, this is that one question that comes up. We're going to talk about heat exhaustion. So in heat exhaustion emergencies, You need to think about the sun. The sun is our enemy, okay? We are vampires, and now we need to get out of the sun, all right? So you're in the sun too long, and you feel crappy. Okay, we remove the patient from the heat. We get them out of the heat, and this is the one time that we can go ahead and give our patients something uh, salty to drink, some type of electrolyte, okay? This is the time that we do actually give our patients something to drink. You need to know the treatment for frostbite. Okay, it's pretty specific, so look it up. Look through your lecture notes. What is the treatment for frostbite? If you have a patient describing tearing pain, tearing pain, and if you're a firefighter, tearing pain, that's an inside joke for my students, this is an aortic aneurysm. We transport this patient high flow O2, high flow O2, supine, supine, flat on her back, ladies and gentlemen, flat on her back, okay? and rapid transport. This person's gonna die on you if that thing tears, okay? If this aneurysm tears, they're going to die. So anytime someone tells you I have a tearing pain in their chest, AAA, dissecting the aortic aneurysm, aortic aneurysm, I don't care what you call it, but we treat them with high flow O2 and supine transportation, okay? This is Mr. Toad's wild ride to the hospital. When you have a patient who has a history of diabetes and is altered but can swallow, always give glucose. Okay, one more time. When you have a patient who has a history of diabetes and is altered but can swallow, always give glucose. Most medical patients will be transported in a semi-fallerous position, especially stroke victims. Most medical patients will be transported in a semi-fallerous position, especially stroke. Patients are never transported prone. Patients are never, never transported prone. If you find a patient semi-conscious or unconscious, and do, not, and do not know how they got on the ground, you must suspect a head and neck injury. When you come across these patients, you are to immediately open their airway with a jaw thrust and assess the airway, then move on to the rest of the assessment. Remember, we first fix A, then we fix B, then we fix C. After we have fixed A, B, C, we get to play with our tools, our cool toys. If you have a patient with chest pain or shortness of breath and is alert and oriented, provide high flow O2 and conduct a focus history and physical exam. Remember, they can tell you what's wrong because they are alert. I'm going to read this to you one more time and you probably should rewind it or whatever they call it today in the podcast world. If you have a patient with chest pain or shortness of breath and is alert and oriented, provide high flow O2 and conduct a focused 
history, and physical exam. Remember, they can tell you what's wrong because they are alert. Okay, so this is my notes based upon the mistakes I've seen my students make. I'm going to be adding a secondary portion on what the other instructors have noticed as well so that way we can give you an overall nice study guide. With that, the medical module exam for is going to cover these issues. Medical overview, respiratory emergencies, neurological emergencies, endocrine and hemological emergencies, immunological emergencies, environmental emergencies, toxicology, psychiatric emergencies, and gastrointestinal and urological emergencies. Some of these were lectures and some of these were homework assignments. Okay, so I'm gonna throw a question out at you. Your 63-year-old male patient is breathing at a rate of 28 breaths per minute. He breath his breaths are very shallow. You would best manage this patient by A, assessing if the patient will tolerate a nasal cannula, B, provide positive pressure ventilation, C, provide supplemental oxygen via non-rebreather mask, or D, use the bag bag use a bag valve mask without supplemental oxygen. If you answered B, provide positive pressure ventilation, you would be right. Now, what I don't like about this question and answers is that D technically could have been right, and I'm sure some of you would argue with me if you answered D, but the best answer here is, and you have had me in class telling you, shallow respirations equal BVM slash positive pressure ventilation. This is what makes this answer better, okay? So we also, when we use a BVM, we will use supplemental oxygen. Remember that BVM, we hook up to the house O2 or BVM, we hook up to some type of external O2 tank to provide us 100% oxygen, okay? So remember that. So that's why B is the best answer here. You and your partner are eating lunch when dispatch sends you to a possible pediatric cardiac arrest. On arrival, you find a two-year-old male lying on the floor, extremely cyanotic. After assessing the ABCs, you hear a high-pitched sound coming from the upper airway. The patient's mother tells you that her son has a history of asthma and uses a prescribed inhaler. The patient is in A, respiratory failure, B, respiratory arrest, C, cardiac arrest, or D, hypoxic arrest. If you answered A, respiratory arrest, you would be correct. And here's the reason why. You have the patient, the two-year-old male lying on the floor, extremely cyanotic. You hear high-pitched sounds coming from the upper airway. And he has a history of asthma. So the patient is moving air. Yes, he's in respiratory failure. If he was not moving air, he would be in respiratory arrest. And if he did not have a pulse, then he would be in cardiac arrest. Okay? So that's what you need to start thinking. These are the type of questions you're going to see on this test. Next question. A 45-year-old female patient is upright on a couch and is complaining of dyspnea. She is using accessory muscles and, is breathing, and her breathing is labored. She is speaking in four to five word sentence dyspnea. You determine that her respiratory volume and rate are satisfactory. Your next action should be to A, administer oxygen via a non-rebreather mask at 15 liters per minute. B, assist respirations with artificial ventilations only. C, assist respirations with artificial ventilations and supplemental oxygen. Or D, provide oxygen via nasal cannula at four to six liters per minute. Now this is that one time that I hate the fact that the answer is D, nasal cannula. But the reason why is look at, she's sitting upright on her own. Yes, she's using some accessory muscles, but she's talking to you in four to five words. So that is mild respiratory distress. And the fact that you drew in your assessment determined that her respiratory volume and rate are satisfactory. She still needs a little bit of oxygen, so let's go ahead and give it to her. So this is where we gotta think, right? We gotta think. We just don't wanna be robots. Yeah, we could have thrown her on 15 liters by mask, but does she really need that? Is she that, is she that person that has one to two word sentence dyspnea? No, she has four to five words, so she's still talking to us. All right. So I'll, I'll kind of remind you of a slide and I'll break it this way. Levels of distress. Moderate distress, we use a nasal cannula if no pulse ox is available. Severe distress, non-rebreather at 10 to 15 liters per minute. Respiratory failure, you better start thinking PPV or BVM. And respiratory arrest, obviously, is positive pressure ventilation and uh, 
and or via BVM for the EMT level. A 45-year-old female patient is in the tripod position on a couch and complaining of severe dyspnea. She is using accessory muscles and breathing is labored. She is speaking in one to two word, sentence, word sentences. You determine that her respiratory volume and rate are satisfactory. Your next action should be to A, administer oxygen via non-rebreather mask at 15 liters per minute, assist respirations with artificial ventilations only, that's B, C, assist respirations with artificial ventilations and supplemental oxygen, or D, provide oxygen by nasal cannula at four to six liters. Well, we have a different scenario. I kind of just mentioned that. So the answer would be A, administer oxygen via a non-rebreather mask at 15 liters per minute. Your 50-year-old female patient has chronic bronchitis. Your initial assessment reveals a breathing rate of six times per minute and cool, clammy skin. Your next action should be to A, administer oxygen by nasal cannula at 15 liters per minute, B, assist respirations with positive pressure ventilation and supplemental oxygen, C, administer oxygen via non-rebreather mask at 15 liters per minute, or D, place the patient in a sitting position and assess lung sounds. If you answered B, assist respirations with positive pressure ventilations uh, and supplemental oxygen, you would be right because why? The patient's breathing six times a minute. That's half of what we need to live. Six times a minute. Okay, so this is the stuff we're going to throw at you. At 3 a.m., you receive a call for a 57-year-old male patient complaining of shortness of breath. The patient is a smoker. He speaks in short sentences apparently due to respiratory distress. Vitals are BP 138 over 78, pulse 98, respirations are at 26, and labored. His lung sounds are diminished on the right side. You should suspect A, myocardial infarction, B, spontaneous pneumothorax, C, a thoracic aortic aneurysm, or D, congestive heart failure. Well, this is that patient who is a smoker. A smoker is emphysemic, and emphysemic is COPD. COPD has weak lung tissue. Uh, answer would be B, spontaneous pneumothorax. You are assessing a patient in heart failure. Which of the following signs and symptoms would similarly indicate that the left ventricle is the cause of the heart failure? A, heart rate of 62 beats per minute. B, Difficulty breathing when in the upright position. C. Rails, otherwise known as crackles in the bases of, the, of both lungs. Or D. SpO2 of 98% with supplemental oxygen. Well, the answer is C. Rails, because we're having the fluid back up into the lungs. Remember, we had that in the beginning of this lecture. The signs and symptoms of this, which is also known as CHF, are pulmonary edema slash rails, pink frothy sputum, JVD and dependent edemia, usually pedal, but if they're bedridden, sacral. A 71-year-old female is complaining of sudden onset of shortness of breath and rapid breathing. She also states that she's experiencing some chest pain that seems to worsen when she takes a deep breath. The initial assessment shows her to be alert and oriented with a, with a patent airway and rapid breathing that is adequate. Her pulse rate is 91 per minute and her blood pressure is 116 over 68. When obtaining a sample history, which of the following pieces of information would raise your suspicion that the patient may be experiencing a pulmonary embolus? A. I did not take my blood pressure medication today. B. I think that I may also have a fever. C. I had hip surgery five days ago. Or D. I have a headache. I had a headache earlier today and took an aspirin. Well, we know these risk factors of a PE are recent surgery, so your answer is C. I had hip surgery five days ago. To go over the signs and symptoms of a PE, remember, it's sudden onset. The patient could present with dyspnea and tachypnea, pleuritic chest pain, cyanosis, normal breath sounds but could have rails in severe cases, could have profound hypotension because of the obstructive shock, could possibly be in cardiac arrest. And I know I told you I was going to have you look it up, but all right, whatever. So risk factors, infections and thrombosis, irregular heartbeats, atrial fibrillation, recent surgeries, especially abdominal and pelvic, sickle cell anemia, long bone fractures, bedridden patients, IV drug users, oral contraceptives, and childbirth. 
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's been about 30 minutes and we still have quite a few more slides to go through for this actual study guide. This is probably one of the most intensive study guides I put together yet. But with that, we're gonna go ahead and break for two reasons. Number one, to get you to get up and get out of your chair. And number two, I gotta throw an ad in so I can keep this podcast going. All right, see you in just a few minutes or probably a few seconds in my world. Okay, you perform a focus history and physical, physical exam on a 13-year-old female patient. Witnesses tell you her behavior changed suddenly. She has sweaty skin and complains of feeling hungry. Her condition might be A, diabetic emergency, B, cardiac emergency, C, respiratory emergency, D, allergic reaction. As we mentioned in the first part of this lecture, you should be thinking A, diabetic emergency. You arrive on the scene and find an unresponsive female with a weak, rapid pulse. Her skin is warm and dry. You note her breaths are deep and rapid and smell like nail polish remover. The most likely cause of this patient's unresponsiveness is A, hypoglycemia, B, hyperglycemia, C, heat exhaustion, or D, respiratory distress. In this, you should have realized that her skin was warm and dry, and then she had the deep, rapid respirations, which are those Kuzmal respirations, and then her breath had a nail polish remover smell. This is all indicative of having a high glucose or high glucose in your bloodstream. So your answer is B, hyperglycemia. You arrive on the scene and find an unresponsive female with a weak, rapid pulse on the kitchen floor. It's tiled. Her skin is warm and dry. You note her breaths are deep and rapid and smell like nail polish remover. The most appropriate initial or first step in managing this patient is A, administer oral glucose, B, deliver oxygen by a non-rebreather mask, C, controlling the airway with a jaw thrust maneuver, D, administering insulin. Now remember the Chris Cano algorithm to test taking. First thing is BSI, so this is there's no answer with that option. Next is general impression. There is no answer with that option. Next will be, uh, I'm sorry, BSI, scene safety, then general impression, and now A. Well, do we have an option for our answer in this one? Yes, C, controlling the airway with a jaw thrust maneuver. And as I've told you before numerous times, Whenever we have a patient down on the ground and we don't know how they get there, we're going to assume they have some type of spinal problem and we need to take spinal precautions. So with that, your answer is C, controlling the airway with a jaw thrust maneuver. While working at a large outdoor music festival, you are summoned to assess a possible unresponsive patient. On arrival, you find a 23-year-old male surrounded by bystanders. The patient does not respond to verbal stimuli. He exhibits shallow, gurgling respirations. What should be your next step in managing this patient? A. Assessing the pulse. B. Providing oxygen at 15 liters per minute with a non-rebreather mask. C. Maintaining manual inline spinal immobilization. Or D. Assisting respirations with the BVM attached to oxygen. Now in this question, we have a couple of problems because normally... When we see shallow respirations, we should also we should always answer BVM. But remember, he has gurgling respirations, so that means there is some type of upper respiratory um, obstruction. Okay, given the fact that this patient is unresponsive, the best thing we could have chosen is A, assess the pulse, quote unquote CAB. Not a big fan of this question. Luckily, we don't have many like this. So just know that just as, this is just one of those questions where you got to know cab, circulation, airway, and breathing would be the answer. And it's given the fact that we are looking at an unresponsive patient who has gurgling respirations. Yes, they are shallow, but we have a few things going on here and we need to fix that gurgling first. While working at a large outdoor music festival, you are summoned to assess a possible unresponsive patient. On arrival, you find a 23-year-old male surrounded by bystanders. Yes, this is the same question, so I'm still going to read it all over again. The patient does not respond to verbal stimuli. He exhibits shallow gurgling respirations at a rate of 8 per minute and has a rapid faint pulse. 
what should be your next step in managing this patient? A, providing oxygen at 15 liters without, with a non-rebreather mask. B, ensure the airway is patent. C, maintaining manual inline C-spine stabilizations. Or D, assist respirations with a BVM attached to oxygen. In this one, you should be thinking, B, ensure the airway is patent. Okay, going to read the question again. Let's see if there's any changes. While working at a large outdoor music festival, you are summoned to assess a possible unresponsive patient. On arrival, you find a 23-year-old male surrounded by bystanders. The patient does not respond to verbal stimuli. He exhibits shallow gurgling respirations at a rate of 8 per minute and has a rapid faint pulse. pulse. After suctioning and securing the airway, what should be your next step in managing this patient? A. Provide oxygen at 15 liters with a non-rebreather mask. B. Ensure the airway is patent. C. Maintaining manual inline C-spine stabilization. Or D. Assisting respirations with a BVM attached to oxygen. In this, we're finally getting to what we should be doing for this patient, which is assisting respirations by a BVM oxygen by BVM attached to oxygen. All right, let's switch gears. I know those questions were a little frustrating because normally I have always told you that shallow respirations equal BVM. Just know that 99.9% that is the right answer. So just make sure that you read these questions and you thoroughly look at the answers. Just always think of your primary assessment and then your secondary assessment. Okay, what is the most frequent cause of a brain attack? A, hypotension, B, cerebral vascular occlusion, C, brain hemorrhage, or D, cerebral vascular spasm? In this, you should have answered B, cerebral vascular occlusion. Essentially, a clot. Well, working at a large outdoor music festival, oh my gosh, once again, here we are. On a reasonably hot day, you are summoned to assess a possible unresponsive patient. On arrival, you find a 23-year-old male surrounded by bystanders. The patient does not respond to verbal, verbal stimuli. He exhibits shallow, gurgling respirations at a rate of 8 per minute and has a rapid, faint pulse. You should treat for A, heat stroke, B, heat exhaustion, C, diametic emergency, or D, possible overdose. Well, given the fact that we're out on a very hot day and the patient's unresponsive, we are going to be treating this patient for A, heat stroke. Your patient presents with difficulty speaking and right-sided facial droopy. While performing your ongoing examination, you notice all of the signs and symptoms have been resolved. Which of the following conditions is best correlated with these findings? A, CVA, B, CHF, C, TIA, or D, occlusive stroke? The answer for this is TIA because in a TIA, the signs and symptoms will go away or not be present after 24 hours, which makes it a TIA. But remember this, regardless of that, TIAs re require medical attention. Okay, you have been called to transfer a male patient from an outpatient clinic to the hospital. The patient has been diagnosed with peritonitis and requires transport to the hospital for definitive care. As a knowledgeable EMT, you would recognize which of the following are true. A. The abdomen aorta is inflamed and in danger of rupture. B. The patient's kidneys and pancreas are infected. C. The patient is actively hemorrhaging and requires blood. Or D. The lining of the patient's abdominal cavity is inflamed. Well, this is peritonitis, so the answer would be D. The lining of the patient's abdomen cavity is inflamed. A patient complains of severe and sharp pain to the right lower abdomen quadrant. Based on location, what organ or structure is most likely involved? In this, the right lower, the only thing that it can be is the appendix. A 42-year-old female is crying and she states that she has sharp abdominal pain that she localizes to her right lower quadrant. When assessing the patient's abdomen, the EMT would A. Start palpating in the left upper quadrant. B. Avoid palpating the right lower quadrant. C. Start palpating in the right lower quadrant. Or D. Avoid palpating the entire abdomen. The answer to this is A. We would start palpating in the left upper quadrant. 
A 42-year-old female is crying, and she states that she has sharp abdominal pain that she localizes to her right lower quadrant. You should treat this patient for A, atopic pregnancy, B, appendicitis, C, esophageal varices, or D, aortic aneurysm. And of course, because she's 42 and has abdominal pain, we're always going to think atopic pregnancy. A patient informs you that he is recently diagnosed with an abdominal aortic aneurysm, ooh, the dreaded AAA. He states that the surgeon did not want to operate on it immediately because he felt it was stable and not worth the risk that surgery poses. posed. Tonight, the patient states that he has suddenly developed abdominal pain and wants to be evaluated in a hospital to see if the AAA has increased in size. Given the history, which of the following assessment findings would cause the EMTs to suspect that the AAA is the cause of the abdominal pain? A. Inability to urinate. B. Tearing pain located to the back. C. Pain that subsides when the patient lies still. Or D. Temperature of 101 Fahrenheit. Of course, our answer is B. Tearing pain located to the back. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen? Tearing pain blood pressure differences between the two arms. These are the things that are indicative of a AAA. Which of the following assessment findings would increase the EMT's suspicion of a gastrointestinal bleed? A, sharp left lower quadrant pain. B, watery and foul smelling diarrhea. C, black tarry stool. Or D, sudden onset of constipation. Well, we're going to go with C, black tarry stool, otherwise known as Milena. You're called to the beach at 6 a.m. where a female was found lying on the bathroom floor. Your patient is found with an altered level of consciousness, slow respirations and pulse, hypotension, and loss of coordination. She is most likely suffering from A, hypothermia, B, frostbite, C, frost nip, D, heat stroke. Well, let's look at the time. 6 a.m. at the beach, bathroom floor. She's showing all these slow signs and symptoms. So we're going to anticipate that she is A, hypothermia. Your patient is a 62-year-old diabetic male who has been mowing his lawn in unseasonably hot spring temperatures. He is alert and oriented and complains of weakness. Your patient is sweating profusely and has rapid shallow breathing and a weak rapid pulse. He is most likely suffering from A, heat stroke, B, heat cramps, C, heat exhaustion, D, heat syncope. Well, due to the fact that he is still sweating profusely and he is alert and oriented, he's going to be C, heat exhaustion. He would have been heat stroke had he been disoriented as well as hot dry skin. Your patient was bitten by a snake on the ankle while hiking in the Santa Monica Mountains. Treatment includes A. Splint and elevate the leg, apply ice to the bite. B. Application of a constricting band. C. Making small incisions over the bite to drain the venom. Or D. Draw a circle around the reddened area and noting the time. Now, in this question, you're going to get sucked in. Treatment includes, this was a question we're asking you, treatment includes, and your Alley County Protocol states that you, as part of your treatment, will be drawing a circle around the reddened area and noting the time. The answer, D. Don't get locked in on these guys. You've got to look at what we're asking you, okay? Your patient is complaining of severe shortness of breath and pleuritic chest pain immediately after surfacing while scuba diving. You should suspect... Remember, we talked about this in the first half of our study guide. Scuba diving, surfacing fast, has shortness of breath, we're thinking air embolus. So the answer is B. I apologize. I think I did not give you A, B, C, or D. So it was A, pulmonary edemia, B, air embolus, C, nitrogen narcosis, or D, decompression sickness. Sorry about that. Okay, your patient is complaining of severe leg and abdominal pain, two hours after a scuba diving trip. You should suspect A, pulmonary edemia, B, pulmonary embolus, C, nitrogen narcosis, or D, decompression sickness. In this one, because of that two-hour mark, we are going to be thinking D, decompression sickness. 
A 22-year-old patient is found in his bed responding to painful stimuli with purposeful movement. His pupils are pinpoint, his breathing is shallow and slow, and his pulse is hard to detect. He is most likely suffering from an overdose of A, CNS stimulant, B, sedative, hypnotic, sorry about that, C, opiate, and D, hallucinogen. Remember, folks, let's not forget, pinpoint pupils, breathing is shallow, this is opiate, this is what the, this is the epidemic in the United States of America, opiate, addiction to opiates, and the reason why we have Narcan. You're assessing a young male patient who was found in an alley by sanitation workers with drug paraphernalia, including needles. Assessment reveals the patient, the patient to respond to painful stimuli by opening his eyes, but then closes them once you stop applying interdigital pressure. His airway is open and his breathing is shallow. His skin is cool and diaphoretic and his pupils are constricted and do not react to light. Based on this assessment or based on these assessment findings, the EMT would be suspicious of A, traumatic assault, B, narcotic overdose, C, methamphetamine overdose, or D, stroke or hypoglycemia. Well, once again, we got the needles, we got the shallow respirations, pupils are constricted. Sometimes people will report pinpoint pupils as constricted pupils, but our answer here is B, narcotic overdose as narcotic overdose slash opiates give us those constricted pupils as well as signs and symptoms. You have been called for a 28-year-old male with a history of behavioral problems. He responds to painful stimuli with garbled speech. His airway is patent, but breathing is inadequate. His radial pulse is rapid and skin is cool and moist. He has crackles at the bases of both lungs and the following vital signs. Pulse 108, respirations 6, blood pressure 98 over 64, and an SpO2 of 82%. A friend informs you that he thinks that he drank a considerable amount of antifreeze, possibly up to 12 hours ago in a suicide attempt. The first thing you should do is A, administer activated charcoal, B, call poison control, C, look for confirmation that the antifreeze was ingested, or D, start positive pressure ventilation. Ladies and gentlemen, your patient is dying in front of you. He has respirations of six, half of what is needed for life. We need to do something ASAP. Administering activated charcoal is not going to help his airway. Calling Poison Control Center, what are they going to do? What are they going to tell you? C, look for confirmation of the antifreeze. Well, what does it matter at this point? We have someone who is dying right in front of you who is not breathing properly. We need to breathe for them. You have been called for a 38-year-old male complaining of aliens coming to get him. He is obviously very anxious and fidgety. His airway is patent, breathing is rapid with adequate depth. His radial pulse is rapid and skin is cool and moist. A fireman, or I should say firefighter, has gotten the the following vitals. Pulse 124, respirations 26, blood pressure 144 over 88, and an SpO2 of 97%. You should suspect an overdose of A, opiates, B, CNS stimulants, C, sedative hypnotics, oh my gosh, that word again, or D, hallucinogens. Hypnotics, 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 hypnotics. Okay, that's not the answer. I'm just trying to get this into my vocabulary today. The answer, based on the fact that everything is speeding up, should be B, CNS stimulants. A 48-year-old male patient was found unconscious in their vehicle parked on the side of the road. The primary assessment reveals him to be unresponsive with a patent airway. His breathing is shallow and slow. His radio pulse is slow and weak, and his skin is pale and cool. What action should the EMT take first? A. Administer oxygen through a non-rebreather mask. B. Apply positive pressure ventilation with supplemental oxygen. C. Insert a nasal pharyngeal airway. Or D. Provide rapid transport in a semi-fowler's position. Well, here, our key is his breathing is shallow and slow. So our answer is B, apply positive pressure ventilation with supplemental oxygen. See, we're back to the Chris Cano algorithm of test taking as well as what we do with shallow respirations. A 24-year-old female was using a mixture of ammonia and bleach to clean her house. Firemen have moved the patient to a safe location. The primary assessment reveals her to be unresponsive, pulseless, and apneic. What action should the EMT take first? A. 
ventilate the patient at a rate of 10 to 12 breaths per minute. B, provide compressions at a rate of 100 to 120 per minute. C, insert an OP airway and begin ventilatory support. Or D, document the obvious death and notify law enforcement. Well, in this, we're going to be B, provide compressions at a rate of 100 to 120 per minute. We found a patient who needs CPR. We always start with compressions. Boom, boom, boom. Let's do this, folks. So same scenario. I will read it again. A 24-year-old female was using a mixture of ammonia and bleach to clean her house. Firefighters, I'm doing the politically correct term unlike the first time, firefighters have moved the patient to a safe location. The primary assessment reveals her to be unresponsive, pulseless, and apneic. As your partner begins compressions, you should A, ventilate the patient at a rate of 10 to 12 breaths per minute, B, search for clues using AEIOU tips mnemonic, C, measure and assert an OP, OPA, or D, turn on and connect the AED. Well, like we always told you, when we're doing CPR, we want to apply that AED as fast as we can. So the answer would have been D, turn on and connect the AED. Amphetamines and methamphetamines are examples of A, opiates, B, CNS stimulants, C, B, CNS stimulants, C, sedative hypnotics, D, hallucinogens. Of course, the answer in this one is B, CNS stimulants. Your 68-year-old male patient was found wandering in a park at 1,400 hours. He states people are following him and trying to get him. He is shaking, sweating, and hard to calm. His vitals are elevated. His family states that he's been trying to stop drinking alcohol and has not drank in two days. Has not drank in two days. He is most likely suffering from A, Alzheimer's disease, B, acute alcohol withdrawal, C, acute alcohol intoxication, D, a psychiatric emergency. While in this well, in this scenario, we want to think of the alcoholic who has finally gone dry. And in this, our answer is going to be B, acute alcohol withdrawal. What is your first priority in managing a patient with a behavioral emergency? A, assessing and managing the patient's airway. B, determining if the patient is a threat to him or herself. D, ensure the safety of you and your partner or D, provide high concentration oxygen? In this one, the answer is C, ensure the safety of you and your partner. Remember, BSI, scene safety, general impression, then the ABCs. Don't get pulled into this by saying, well, what should we do? We know what we want to do for the patient, but remember, it's asking you, how what, what what is your first priority? Well, your first priority is always your safety. Your safety first. We don't need two patients. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this will conclude our study guide for block four medical. Very comprehensive, very long. The key here is not to get sucked into the questions. Read the question and look for what we are asking you out of the question. Remember the Chris Cano algorithm for test taking. Remember what we do for shallow respirations as well as what we do for triple A's. Know what a PE is and the risk factors. And then just go over those notes from your actual physical lecture along with any required reading. Good luck with your block exam, ladies and gentlemen, and let's get ready for block five. You have a good night, and I'll see you guys in class. Oh, and my last plug, don't forget to visit the Public Safety Guru. Register for the site. Cool things are coming. I've been working on the website. Very cool things are coming to help you to start your career as an ambulance EMT. And for those of you that are thinking about entering public safety, I got some cool little tidbits coming that way as well. ThePublicSafetyGuru.com. All right, that's it for me. Good night.